we leave Jacob as the major character in our perusal of Genesis and come to Joseph, who is one of the favorite characters of Scripture to me personally. If you have a Schofield Bible, you will find at the bottom of the page an outline of how his life relates to the life of Jesus Christ. It's a very interesting study to follow if you would like to do that. See how the lives correlate, that of Joseph and that of Jesus. Now, through Joseph, the divine purpose of God in this book of beginnings is carried on. Joseph had several strikes against him at the very outset of his life, but he overcame them to fulfill God's desire for his life. Some of you who sit here today have said, I've got strikes against me. I can't do this because. I can't stop doing this because. I can't be a success because. Good morning. On the back of your bulletin is space to write. In my introduction before the two major points of the message, let me show you the strikes Joseph had against him. First of all, there was partiality at his house. And that's never good, is it? Jacob favored Joseph. The reason the Bible says is because he was born in his father's old age. And he was the son of his favorite wife. The other sons that he had born to other wives, Bilhan Zilpah, but not Joseph. Favorite son, favorite wife. So he cannot help but show partiality to him. Second strike against him, he gave him a coat of many colors. Now those of you who do not know Old Testament history need to know what that coat meant. That coat meant authority. That coat meant a ruler. The literal translation from the Hebrew is a tailored coat. A coat of authority, a coat of rulership. So here comes Joseph with his new coat. Teenage wonder. He has ten brothers at this point. And they say, who is this? Wearing that coat of authority. Who does he think he is? Are you going to be a ruler over us? <laughs> yeah. And we see the story unfold through the chapters ahead of us, and it is a remarkable story. The problem with Jacob's giving Joseph that coat was that 
Joseph hadn't learned how to be a servant yet. And you have to be a servant before you can be a ruler. And this was a big problem with this young man, as it would be with anybody. So the results, he was hated by his brethren. Now, we're talking about his brothers, his own flesh and blood. Hated by his brothers and envied by his brothers. Now, how would you like to live in a house like that, where every day you're hated and envied by your brothers? That was what Joseph had against him as he started this era of his life. This is a message to this generation from Joseph. There are two things that Joseph speaks to us of in the 37th chapter of Genesis. He overcame the strikes against him, and the first section of the story of Joseph deals with two basic things, and I want you to get them. They are his message to this generation. The first is found in the second verse. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Translated, Joseph had a hatred of sin. Joseph had a righteous spirit and hated sin. That's what it means when the writer tells us that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. He could not let their actions go unheeded. He had to go to his father and tell him what his brothers were doing. Now, dear friends, this is a real test of what a person is made of, what he thinks about sin, how he reacts to sin. Joseph had come from the shelter of a father's care and the shelter of a mother's love to witness the unrestrained passion of his brothers. He couldn't handle it. I'm sure at the devotional time his father had talked to them all about sin and its effects. I'm sure at his mother's knee he had heard of what sin would do to anyone who would not heed the commandments of God. Now as he saw it in the lives of his brothers, his hatred of that sin brought him back to his home to tell of what his brethren were doing. Now the world says, do as they do. Even in the church today, and I don't care what church, any church today, there is the problem of what is right and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is evil, and invariably the tendency of humankind is to lean toward what is evil rather than toward what is good. We rationalize, we say, if they can do it, I can do it too. Joseph could have done that. Joseph could have said, well, they're older than I am. 
They've been around longer than I have been around. I will just do as they do, but not Joseph. Joseph came back and told his father of the evil of his brothers. An all-southern fullback went out after a great game with the boys for a night of sin and debauchery. Today he rests on a cane in his father's bank, a pitiable figure. His eyes sunken into their sockets, his cheekbones nearly piercing the skin. His face drawn and his neck bent, the joints of his fingers, his arms and his legs, big swollen knots slowly turning to rock, his whole body a twisted, disfigured hulk. This is what that all-Southern fullback said. Seven years ago, I was all-Southern fullback. I stood six feet one inch and weighed 180 pounds. I never exerted my full strength. In fact, I never discovered how strong I was. My muscles were like iron and my nerves like steel. They said I was a perfect specimen of physical manhood. Picture me as I was then and look at me now, a helpless, hideous, twisted creature. When I walk down these streets, he said, I feel as if I'm stepping on sharp nails. Every square inch of my miserable body is racked with pain. Tell young men about me, he said. Tell them that this horrible transformation of a great athlete into a broken, suffering, dying man was the result of one wild night of sin. Tell them that God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I tell you what he said to tell you. It's not worth it. Sin is never worth it. There must come to the church. There must come to us, dear brothers and sisters, a hatred of sin. It's what nailed Jesus to the cross. It's what crucified the Lord of glory. We cannot play with it. It's dangerous. And we will be held accountable for our sins. But aren't you glad Jesus points out through his apostle John the great truth of the gospel, that if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you have a hatred of sin today? What kinds of feelings do you have when you're going through the newspaper and suddenly you come across the movie page? I don't know how you feel, but I just scoot right on by. I have had it up to here with the junk and the garbage that this world is throwing at us. 
How do you feel? What happens inside of you when you see on television mockeries of God? What goes on inside of you when over and over, hour after hour, the sin comes gushing forth out of the idiot box? It's a test. Are you of this world, or are you of the kingdom of God? That's why the Bible says that we are to eschew evil, hate evil. That's why Job was so special, and God could trust him with the suffering, because he eschewed evil, he hated evil. How is it with us? In this modern generation, we hear what the world promotes, and ere long we're going along with it. We're giving our assent to it. Oh, we say, what difference will it make anyway? Everybody's doing it. I would say it's time then to take a look at Joseph, who's hated sin and could not stand it in the lives of his brothers, and came to the Father with a report. Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.22, Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. You must. Others won't do it for you. Be assured of that. Keep thyself pure. Underline the word. Thyself. That's the emphasis of the apostle to Timothy. Joseph had an early experience of the need of resistance. An old chorus goes, shun the wrong and do the right. Why do we find that so hard? Why do we dissipate ourselves just because someone else is doing it? College students are tempted to take the world's code High schoolers are tempted to be joiners. The middle school and elementary school children are thrown into a lion's den of compromise and do as others do. The businessman is required to drink with the business associates. Couples, in order to have friends to associate with, often take the way of the world rather than the way of the cross. I want to say something to you on this Lord's Day morning. Set your own standards. Don't let the world set them for you. Take this book and open it before God and say, God, in Jesus' name, show me what's right. Teach me how to live the way I ought to live in this world. And he will. This is our guidebook. This is our road map. This is where our standard comes from. Paul set his standard. He said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice one little statement. He said, I'm persuaded that things present cannot separate me 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, you cannot say, well, that was a different era. Sin has been sin since the Garden of Eden. It's never been easy for people to turn their back on the pleasures of sin. But Paul said, nothing, not even things present, will separate me from the love of God. And yet today there are people in church who let things present separate them from the love of God. That's why Joseph has a message to this generation. He hated sin. Where is that feeling of sin in our midst? Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Perhaps Jacob had taught Joseph that principle. Son, if sinners entice thee, Consent thou not, even though they may be your brothers. Your brothers. Don't consent to their sin. I wonder what happened to Richard Nixon. Perhaps this is a story we could relate to. The ugly language that came out. The gap on the tape. Could it be the story of a man who bowed to his environment? When that man could create an atmosphere that would bless, an atmosphere that would heal, and an atmosphere that would help, instead he sunk down to the level of the environment, he bowed to it, and it is the worst page in American history. A man with unbelievable ability, but who bowed to the environment. It's a wonderful thing when a person's presence deprives the devil of elbow room for his tricks. Like Joseph, how much restraining influence such a person may exert in the world. You may be asking, well, what proof do we have that it worked for Joseph? He's just a teener. Well, you have to go 20 years down the road and take a look. He's getting his brothers out of a jam. He's ministering to his brothers. They don't have anything. Joseph has plenty. They come from a strange land. He's sitting in the Pharaoh's seat, ruling the whole nation. Who was the wiser of the lot? Was it Joseph or was it his brethren? All you have to do is look down the road a ways to discover the value of what I'm saying. Joseph says to you today, hate sin. Hate it with a passion. Hate it in your own life. Hate it in the lives of your family members. Hate it in the world. Despise it with everything that you can muster up within you. For it is sin that will drag you to the pits. But it is righteousness that will exalt you and lift you up, even as it did with Joseph long ago. Listen for all of us, a message from Joseph to this generation. The second part of his message is in verse 5 and verse 9. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he dreamed yet another dream. 
You see, Joseph had a vision of the future. This is his message to our generation. Have a vision of the future. If we only can see today, we're in trouble. If you can only look at the problem and the difficulty, you have a problem. If you can only look at what's happening in this world at this moment, you have a problem. Joseph's whole life seems to turn on his dreams or the dreams of the prisoners or of Pharaoh's dream, but something always projecting into the future, the plan of God. I get rather excited on this point because I have found it works in my own life. Without a dream, I perish. There is in Revelation 19 the picture of a rider on a white horse coming with the sword in his mouth to conquer, not to be conquered. We need to see the big picture today, friend. We need to be able to look beyond our problems and beyond the situations of our time and say, God is God, he has everything under control, and I'm winning in spite of what the scoreboard may look like at this moment. I'm winning because I see it in the future. I know who God is, and I can do everything through Christ who is strengthening me. With innocency, Joseph shares his dreams with his brethren. With contempt and rage, they strike back. Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Perhaps the conviction that Joseph was marked out by God for a high position entered into the hearts of his brothers. This I know, hatred and envy filled them. We know that, and what terrible things happen when hatred and envy get in the way. They sell him to foreigners. They hope he dies. They bring back his coat of authority covered with blood, making his father think for 20 years he was dead. What kept Joseph going? His dream. What kept him in the prison for two years? when he should not have been there. What kept him as he worked in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife trumped up a charge against him that was not true? What kept him? His dream. He knew what the future was going to bring him. He had heard from God. And so have we. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. I said to someone the other day that poured out their story of pain and agony, listen, I said, the last chapter isn't written. The story is not finished yet. There is a day ahead with sun in the sky and blue sky hovering o'er you. It's not over yet. You've got to dream. You have to look ahead and see what's there. 
And when you do, you will see God. He has given you the keys of eternity. You don't stop with the problem or the discouragement of the prison house. Dr. Robert Schuler tells the story of a big, heavy, fireproof safe deposit box they have in their home. One day, he needed some important papers out of it, and he asked Mrs. Schuler for the key, and she couldn't find it, and so the two of them scoured the house and couldn't find it, so there was only one alternative. They picked that huge box up, carried it out, put it in the trunk of the car, and went down six miles to the locksmith. Took it out of the trunk, carried it inside. The locksmith wasn't there, but there was an assistant there, and he couldn't find the right key. So it looked hopeless. So the assistant to the locksmith picked up the firebox, the safety deposit box, to take it back out to the car for the shoelers. And when he did, he put his fingers underneath the lid instead of taking hold of the handle. And as he did, the lid came open. It was unlocked all the time. And guess what? Right inside the lid was the key. I had a camera on my shoulder the other day and was going along, and suddenly I, I wanted my camera, and I was asking, where's my camera? Some dear friend reminded me it was hanging on my shoulder. The other day I was sitting at the desk at home wanting to take care of some important papers, and I couldn't find the little manila envelope where all these papers were, and I beckoned to the lady of the house because she's often rearranging things, and I thought maybe she had moved my envelope from its place, and I was about to come down on her with hooty hoo, and uh, she looked through the drawer, and it wasn't there, but she said, I didn't touch it, I didn't touch it. Then she said, what's that? Right in front of me on the desk. There it was. I don't even remember taking it out. I must have been thinking about some of you. <laughs> I don't remember it. I didn't know it was there. It was sitting right there on top of the desk. The point is this. Often we have what we need right in front of us and don't put our hand on it. That's what Ephesians 3.16 speaks of being strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. You see, we have the key. It's right here within us. We are strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. We can face the problem. We can face the circumstance. We can face the setback. Strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. It's not out here. It's in here. That's why this service is so important. That's why these next few minutes are so vital that we get something inside. Might, power, dunamis. That we can stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. It's amazing what can happen in us when we start to dream and see with the eyes of God. I love to tell the story about the fellow who on his way home from work, had to walk through the cemetery. And in the winter, when the darkness came early, couldn't see too well. 
And on his pathway, one day, they had dug a grave for a burial the next day, and he fell headlong into that open grave. He was not a man of great stature, but he tried to get out. He tried to jump out, couldn't quite make it. He grabbed the grass at the top, and every time he was getting somewhere, it would give way, and he'd fall back down inside. He worked up a lather trying to get out of there. Finally, he said, it's no use. He settled back into the corner, knowing he was going to have to spend the night there, and soon fell into a deep sleep. A fellow coming along the same road fell into the same grave, <laughs> and he too went through the same contortions with very little success. He worked, and he struggled, and he grabbed hold of the grass, and it gave way, and he fell right back down. And it woke up the fellow back in the corner, and he knew the fellow's plight, and he said, it's no use, buddy, you can't get out of here. But he did. is a musical entitled, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. Fantastic title. In it, there's a part about Pontius Pilate who is told, Pontius, don't try to fight Jesus. Your arms are too short to box with God. And it's true. And this is Joseph's message to this generation. You've got to hate sin, you've got to hate the things of the world, and you've got to dream a dream. You have to have a vision. You have to see God for who he is. There is a tomorrow always in God. You can get out of any hole with God. You can make it with God. You can succeed. With God. There's not a church in America that has a money problem. There's not a business in America that has a money problem. There is not a couple here that has a marriage problem. There's not a person here that has a drinking problem. All it is is an idea problem. You just have to have an idea of how to get out of it. The idea is what Joseph shares with us in the early pages of the Bible. He dreamed a dream, and he dreamed another dream. When one was getting a little stale, he dreamed another one. And that's why we need this fellowship week by week so that we can dream dreams and see God for who he is. Don't fight him anymore to yield your life to him and to let God communicate to you in the power of his Holy Spirit what you need to know about life. Joseph dared. Some think that if they never dream, they will never get hurt. So they don't want to dream. They don't want to sit down and plan. They don't want to take a piece of paper and say, this is what I'm going to do, one through five, because if I don't do it, then I won't get hurt. I won't fail. I would rather plan something and fail than never to plan anything at all. 
and just wander through this world taking what this world throws at me. That's what I love about Joseph. He hated the things that were not of God, and he dreamed dreams that kept him in the prison house, Potiphar's house, Pharaoh's house, or wherever he was in a dungeon or in the palace. He had a vision, and he dreamed. And when the going was tough, all he had to do was close his eyes, and he could smile and say, it's going to be all right. I'm going to make it. And 20 years later, he sits on a throne, and he sees those brothers come who envied him and hated him. Now was his moment for revenge, right? Now he could come on them with all the authority of the Pharaoh. He could get even now, right? Sure he could. But he didn't. Because he had a dream. And it was to bring his father into Egypt where he could spend his last days and they could have fellowship together again like a family should. And he wasn't going to stoop to the level of his brethren and sin. So he hugged them and he kissed them. And he said, go get dad and bring him to me. Hallelujah. Do you hear me this morning, friends? Joseph's message to this generation is to hate sin and to dream a dream. God is going to fulfill his plan. God is going to bring his purposes about. I don't care what the obstacles may seem to be. You've got to keep your eyes on him. He will bring it to pass. Take hold of this message from Genesis 37. Tuck it in your heart. Days are not going to get easier. Life is not going to get easier. We are facing pestilence. We are facing earthquakes. We are facing divers, diseases. We are facing the pleasures of sin running rampant. All of the signs are around us. The medfly is spreading. If it would not be the medfly, it would be some shoe fly pie or something. Because we're living in those days. But the answer is Joseph's message to this generation. We have a different drummer. We hear a different song. We have a different beat. And one day we're going to reign with him, just like Joseph reigned. Hallelujah. Let's stand all over the building, shall we? An old chorus says, to be like Jesus, all I ask, to be like him, all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask to be like him. Will you evaluate the quality of your life in view of Joseph's life?
as we bow our heads and sing together this prayer.